You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Spirit, triune God of love. We pray now that you would send your Spirit on us for the reading and the preaching of your word. We need your help. We need your grace. We pray that you would fill you, all of us, and, and me this moment now so that we would not be, be those who look at your word and walk away, but that we would be those who respond to it with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. It's great to see you. We're in a sermon series that we started last week called The Way of Jesus. Uh, we're taking this season of Epiphany that we're in now and then looking uh, forward to Lent that's coming up in February, where we're just really taking a hard look at this person of Jesus through the gospel writer of Mark. We know Mark um, is, like we said last week, is somebody who wants to just cut straight to the chase and tell us exactly who Jesus is and why he came and what he's all about. And so we're gonna uh, spend this time together looking at that from Mark Jesus is not some historical figure. He's not trying to do a historical exploration. He's really trying to offer us a personal confrontation with the living Lord, the living person of Jesus Christ. He's asking you, how are you going to respond to Jesus today? So we're going to get now into this next part of Mark chapter 1. So if you want to open your Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, let's hear Frank Faust as he reads God's word to us. The scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 21. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to just imagine a scenario for me just for a moment. Actually, imagine yourself tomorrow. You're at work or you're at school or whatever it is that you normally are doing. Imagine yourself, you know, sitting at your desk typing or sitting at your desk listening to your teacher or you're outside digging a ditch or you're inside your shop or your store or you're uh, inside changing a diaper. Whatever it is that you normally are doing on a Monday morning. And suddenly a man, someone you've not seen before, just walks up to you and says, hey, come, follow me. You say, excuse me? He says, let's go, come, right now, follow me. What do you do? What do you say? (laughs) Stranger danger. (laughs) 
Yes, thank you. Whoever said that, you'd probably say no. You would say stranger danger. You would call a friend. You would call your mom. You would say, hey, man, get out of my face. You would say, get out of here, right? Who in their right mind would follow somebody who asks you to do that? And yet here we have this story that is exactly that. Here's four guys at work doing their job. Jesus Christ walks right up to them, says, hey, you guys, come, follow me. And the amazing thing is, they do it. They drop everything, they step out of their boats, and they follow him, leaving everything behind. How do we, I mean, how do we explain this bizarre behavior? How, how do we explain why they did this? And why Jesus would ask them to do such a thing? And could it be, friends, could it be that Jesus is calling us to do the very same thing? This passage is about the call of Jesus, the call of Jesus, Jesus calls. And Mark is making it clear that when it comes to Jesus, you can't not sit back and observe, you cannot watch and wait, that Jesus is confronting us, he's calling us, he's inviting us to do exactly what these disciples did to get up and to follow him. What does that mean? Let's explore that together. Before we look into the story of what happens with the guys in the boat, let's look at the first verses, the first two verses in this chapter, which are really some key verses uh, in the whole book of Mark. So look with me at verses 14 and 15. Mark introduces to the person of Jesus last week, but I don't know if you remember, Jesus doesn't say anything in his baptism. This is the first time we actually hear Jesus speak. What does he say? After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's just say you um, went up to a friend or a colleague at work or a guy in the street or a neighbor, and, and you just ask them, what is it that you think Christians believe? What do you think the average Christian believes? What do you think they would say? You know, they might say, well, it seems like Christians believe that you're on, on the earth for a short period of time, and in that period of time, you need to do certain things and behave certain ways um, and believe certain things about God and believe certain things about Jesus. And at the end of your life, you die. And depending on what you did with your life, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Right? That's, that's actually what most people think that Christians believe. There's a lot of confusion out there about what Christianity actually teaches. In fact, if only there was a place, just a single place or even a single verse where we could go in the Bible, where we could actually see what is the real message of Christianity, what is Jesus really all about? If only there was. Oh, there is right here, from the words of Jesus. Jesus' own mouth saying who he is and what the whole message of Christianity is really about. And what is it? What is it? Well, first of all, it says Jesus says this. It says Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God. Now, last week, we talked about this a little bit. We said that good news is this Greek word euangelion, which can be translated gospel, can be translated good news, it literally means news that brings joy, right? When a conquering army defeated their, the enemy that enslaved them, they run back to the city and they announce, good news, our enemies are destroyed, you're free, right? Good news has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with what you accomplish, it has everything to do with something that has happened in history that has changed your situation. That's gospel, that's good news. And so what is Jesus doing here? He is announcing a gospel, a life-changing event. I want to be clear, friends. A lot of religious teachers offer good guidance. 
A lot of religious teachers offer good advice. A lot of good religious teachers offer good recommendations about how to live. Jesus is not offering any of those things. He is offering good news. He's saying something has happened. Something is happening in and through me that is changing the world and changing your situation forever. Not good advice, good news. That's the first thing we know about the message of Christianity. It's not good advice. It's good news. You with me, class? Okay. The second thing, though, uh, is we see this, is that you might ask, then, what is the good news? Okay? If Jesus came proclaiming the good news, what is it? What is the gospel? Well, look at the very next thing that Jesus says. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Okay, let's just be honest. Before the service, before you read this passage, before you heard me talk, if I were to say, if you're a Christian, and if I were to say to you, hey, can you summarize the gospel in a sentence or two, what would you have said? I mean, I probably would have said something like, well, the gospel is that you're a sinner, and Jesus died for your sins on the cross, and if you trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven and have a personal relationship with him and go to heaven when you die. That's the way that most of us in the Western world have trained to describe what the gospel is. Is that what Jesus says here? No. Jesus says this, the kingdom of God has come near. According to Jesus, literally from the mouth of Jesus, that is the gospel. <laughs> the kingdom of God has come near. What is that? What does that mean? Well, it's actually something that we talk about all the time. We talk all the time about the whole story, the wonderful grand story of the Bible, right? That God in the beginning created the world good and perfect and how the world was meant to be, where humans and creation are flourishing under the reign of God, where God's the king. And of course, we learn the tragedy of the story that human beings reject God's rule. They decide to rule themselves. And how does that turn out? Not very well. You know, we make a mess of the world. We make a mess of ourselves. We make a mess of creation. We make a mess of relationships. And yet there's this promise throughout the whole Bible that God will one day return as the king, that he will come again and he will the lost king will return and he will restore the kingdom to creation and he will take the wrong things and make them right, the broken things and make them whole, the sad things and make them untrue, that the king is gonna come and the kingdom will be restored. And so when Jesus shows up and he says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, he is saying that moment that you have been waiting for, for the king to come again and restore all things is now and I'm the king. He proclaims the gospel, and that's it, is the kingdom has arrived in Jesus. He's come to heal and restore and to make it right. It's a fact. It doesn't depend on us. It's a gift of grace. This is what God is doing in Jesus Christ right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the rest of the story is about what people do in response to that glorious message of the kingdom, Right? And so let's look at the rest of the story, because the rest of the story is about Jesus calling people to follow him and be a part of his kingdom, calling people to be a part of his kingdom. So let's just look at some things about his call. First of all, let's look at who Jesus calls. Let's continue to look at the story together. It says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And then a little later, verse 19, it says, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. Well, what's happening here? Well, let me just give you a little bit of historical context. 
At the time that Jesus lived, there were lots of rabbis, and each of the rabbis had rabbinical schools, okay? And in the rabbinical schools, people would go uh, to learn about the Torah, about the law of God. And the way it worked back then is that if you wanted to be a student or a disciple of the rabbi, you are the one who took the initiative to approach the rabbi yourself. So, you know, just like you would like pick out a karate school or a ballet school for your kids, right? And you do the research and you explore, you know, this is what people would do. They say, well, I want to study with that rabbi. And they would go to the rabbi and they would say, I would like to study the law of God with you. And the rabbi would then test you and examine you and put you through some, you know, qualifying tests and then decide whether you could then study with him and then you would become his student. That was how things worked back then. Now, Jesus is doing something here that seems a little similar, but actually is entirely out of the box. So first of all, Simon and Andrew and James and John, I mean, I just want you to picture this, okay? They're just going about their business. They're fishing. They're doing what they do every day. They have no hopes. They have no desire even to become great men of faith. They are not looking to improve their spiritual lives. They are certainly not aspirational students of the Torah, you know, they're just fishermen. What do they most want? A decent catch, right? That's all they want. And yet Jesus walks right up to these guys in the middle of their workday. They're not initiating anything. And Jesus says, hey, guys, follow me. That's the first thing we learn about the crazy way of Jesus is that if you want a relationship with him, he always makes the first move. Jesus is the one who calls you. He goes looking for people, Right? But then look at who Jesus calls. These guys are just so like ordinary. They, they're not well educated. Uh, they probably had really foul language. They probably smelled bad. Uh, they were not religious. They, were, you know, they didn't attend synagogue. They don't even appear to be particularly good fishermen. Have you noticed that? They're always mending their nets, preparing their nets, casting their nets. They're never catching anything. Have you noticed that? And yet, <laughs> these are the guys that Jesus chooses. You know, sometimes we think about the disciples of Jesus as being like this, these, this holy group of men who are very uh, serious about their faith and men of great moral integrity and all these things. Actually, these guys are just normal. Jesus is not the Marines. He's not looking for a few good men, right? He's not saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to meet these qualifications and go through these you know, things, and you have to really prove that you have what it takes to follow me. No, Jesus just goes out and finds people, frankly, like me and you. Normal people, smelly people, people who have issues, right? Jesus doesn't make them take any tests. There's no qualifying exam. The only qualification seems to be that they happen to be there to hear Jesus' call and they get up and follow him. So look, you're here, you're here today, and you're here for a lot of different reasons. Some of you are here because you wanted to be here. Some of you here because you didn't want to be here. Some of you are here because your parents made you come here. Some of you are here because, you know, it's just what you do on Sunday morning. You may not even be looking for Jesus, but he's looking for you. He's looking for you, and he's calling you, and he's coming straight up to you, and he's saying, hey, follow me. And there's no test, there's no qualifications. You don't have to dress a certain way or act a certain way or speak a certain way or be religious in a certain way. He's just coming up to you right where you are at this moment in all of your messes and all of your issues and all of your situation, and he's saying, hey, man, hey, brother, hey, sister, follow me. That's who he calls, you. 
Well, let's look at what Jesus is calling us to. What is Jesus calling us to do? Well, we already talked about one very unusual thing that Jesus does as a rabbi, but there's another way that Jesus is a very unusual rabbi. Because in Jesus' day, the purpose of a rabbinical school was to learn the Torah, right? To learn God's law. That was the purpose of, of any rabbis in the school that they had. So a student worked with a rabbi, not so much because they wanted to follow the rabbi, but because the rabbi helped them follow God's law. Does that make sense? That was the purpose of the, of the school. The rabbi helped them follow the law. But look at Jesus. Jesus calls these men not to the Torah, but to himself. He says, he doesn't say, follow me and I'll help you obey God's law. <laughs> he just says, follow me. I mean, this was scandal. Jesus is essentially saying that following him is not only more important than the law, but is actually the whole purpose of the law. He's saying, don't follow me so that you can get to something else. Follow me to get to me because I'm the whole purpose and meaning of the law. I mean, this is why Jesus came into the crosshairs of the religious community so quickly because of things like this. And so this is what Jesus calls us to do. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, friends. It's just simply to follow him, not to believe in Jesus, to get something else, you know, to be happy or to be successful or have a well-rounded life or to have your children have a, have a religious worldview. You know, the, the, the reason we follow Jesus is to get Jesus, to know and follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, period. And then look what happens when Jesus calls them. It says, at once they left their nets. Immediately they left their father in the boat with the hired men. Not that they went home to think about it. They talked about it with their significant others. They got a legal pad and drew a pros-cons list. No, they just immediately dropped everything and followed him. Can you imagine that? It's really hard to grasp just how shocking this would sound. I mean, this, would, this is shocking even to our ears, but especially to first century ears. If you were a fisherman, you know, you don't choose your job. Your job chooses you. If you're a fisherman, it's because your daddy was a fisherman and your granddaddy was a fisherman and your great-great-granddaddy was a fisherman. And, 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 and in that society, you know, even more important than the vocation is your family loyalty. There's no me, myself, and I in the ancient Near Eastern world. There's only family, clan, and tribe. That is the whole focus of your identity. And there is nothing more important than your association and connection to your family. And at this moment, shockingly, these men drop everything. They drop their jobs, their nets, their businesses, their commitments, their family, their own livelihoods, and they leave it all to follow a guy that they just met. What does this mean for us? Does this, does this mean that if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, you need to quit your job and leave your family? Maybe. Not necessarily, though. It's important to see that when you read the rest of Mark and the other three Gospels, we see that these men do fish again. Uh, they do continue to have relationship with their parents and their families. Yet their lives in this moment radically change forever. Right? What changes here in this moment is the priority of their allegiances. In traditional cultures like this, you get your identity from your family, 
from your people, your tribe. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. I want priority over the family, over the tribe, over your work. He says, follow me over your career, over your money, over your reputation, over your kids. He says, I want priority to be your greatest allegiance. To follow me, to know me, is to be the supreme passion, the greatest allegiance, and the highest focus of your life. Come follow me. I think a lot of times we think about our life kind of like this, this little diagram here. You know, we sort of like, there's your life. It's a, it's a nice circle. And you have different little aspects of your life, right? You've got your job, you've got your family, you've got your hobbies, you've got your friends. And it, if you're in church today, you probably have a faith circle too. There's probably, you know, your faith seems to be reasonably important to you enough that you would show up at a church service. And so maybe you have a faith circle in there too. And these are all just like different components of your life. And maybe you even think about like, oh, if I want to become a real serious follower of Jesus, maybe I should just give that circle more, that faith circle more attention, maybe make it a little bigger. You know, that's kind of the way that we think about our faith. But what I, want, I just want you all to understand here that what Jesus is, is, is asking is to actually completely rethink the entire diagram so that it's no longer your life. So that you can go to the next slide. So that the whole thing is now Jesus and his kingdom. And your life now becomes subsumed in the mission of knowing Jesus, following him, and being a part of his kingdom. That everything in your life, your family, your work, your hobbies, your friendships, the way you spend your everything becomes subsumed under the totality of following Jesus and being a part of the work of his kingdom. I mean, Jesus does not come and say to them, hey, hey, hey guys, come to a class a few hours a week. Come to a synagogue service an hour a week. Come meet with me 10 minutes every morning over a cup of coffee to talk about the Torah. No, he doesn't say that. He, sa he says, follow me, devote the totality of your life to me without reserve. Go where I go, do what I do. Let everything in your life now come under me. His call is ultimate. Some of you might be saying, well, that sounds a bit extreme. Um, maybe you can be like that, Corey, because you're a professional Christian. Or maybe some missionaries can be like that. But I'd rather just go back to the last diagram, right? Where, <laughs> where, where my faith is just like a, one part of my life. Unfortunately, y'all, Jesus does not give that option. Never in the Gospels does he ever say, Look, most of you can just be moderate, but I need a few men and women who are going to be really serious about being my disciples. Never does Jesus say that. He says, actually, if anyone would follow me, they must take up their cross, deny themselves, and give everything. If anyone, not some, not only the advanced, but anyone, if anyone, this is how you relate to Jesus. There's not advanced Christians. There's not different levels of Christians. There's only one kind of Christian, and it is a disciple who wholly and completely follows. This is how serious Jesus is about that. The kingdom of God is near, and if Jesus is the king and the kingdom is coming, he's calling us to drop all our loyalties and allegiances and give ourselves fully and wholly to him. Have you reckoned with that? I mean, this, this is like a, this is an either-or moment for most of us. Have you reckoned with that? So we've seen who Jesus calls, 
ordinary people like you and me. We've seen what Jesus calls us to do, follow Jesus, meaning bringing everything in our life under his reign. And then the last thing we see is that why Jesus calls us. What's the purpose of this? Well, Jesus tells them. He says, I'm going to call you to become fishers of people, right? Fishers of people. I, lo- I, I love that he uses the very vocation that they're doing at that moment. I wonder if what he would say to like an accountant, like, I'm calling you to become, you know, ex- an Excel spreadsheeter of people. I don't know what he would say. But, um, but he's using the, their vocation to make an analogy about what he's calling them into. Jesus is calling them to a fundamental change of purpose, right? Here's this group of men slaving away to make a living for themselves and their families. Their lives are completely oriented around taking care of themselves and their own. And Jesus interrupts that trajectory, and he says, with me, you are no longer going to be just about yourself and your family and your tribe. I am turning you around so that with me, your life has now lived for others. Your life will be for the world. Your life will be for people. He's giving them a greater purpose and calling far larger than the daily grind that they're living in every day. When I was 18 years old, a movie came out that really impacted my generation and I think a lot of Gen X, young adult men, um, it was this movie called Fight Club. And it was about a depressed guy who was working a dead-end white-collar job, and he randomly meets this very weird guy named Tyler, played by Brad Pitt. And he and Tyler uh, form what's called a fight club, where they, a group of men literally begin fighting each other in basements and parking lots. And as they do so, they begin to capture this deep sense of meaning for their lives, right? That their lives are more than the slavery of everyday existence. At one point, Brad Pitt's character says this, we are an entire generation of pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. We're the middle children of the history. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've been all raised by television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't, and we're slowly learning that, and we're very, very pissed off. This is what Brad Pitt's character says. And the movie tapped into this sense of meaninglessness that so many guys and and girls were feeling and stirred a lot of guys I knew to actually literally start fight clubs, but certainly a desire to be about something bigger than themselves, Right? But the vision was so hollow. There was no real meaning in the fight club. There was meaning in the longing. The longing for a greater purpose. The longing to be about something greater than the slavery of the daily grind. And what I think is so beautiful about Jesus here is he is walking up to a group of men and he is offering to slate that longing. To give them something for that thirst. To to draw them into a purpose far greater than themselves far greater than their work, far greater than just the daily grind. He is inviting people into the grand mission of God. The kingdom is near, he says. It's on the way. It may be hidden. It's coming slow. It may look like sometimes the world's on fire, but in small, hidden ways, the kingdom is advancing, and I am inviting you a chance to be a part of it. That's what God is doing, friends. He is fishing for people. He's bringing people out of the chaos of the dark See, and he's drawing them up to the shores of his grace. He's healing souls. He's healing bodies. He's casting out evil. He's feeding hungry bellies. He's bringing the lost home. And he's saying, don't you want to be a part of this amazing work that I'm doing? And these guys say, yes, 
and they don't stop. They give everything to it because they have never met a person who is able to infuse so much glory and so much meaning into an otherwise meaningless existence. I want to be a part of it. Don't you? Don't you want to be a part of it? This is what Jesus is offering to make you into something you could never be on your own, to bring meaning, untold meaning into your life. There is nothing more exciting than this. There is no adventure more thrilling than this. To be joined, to take all that you are, all of your abilities, all of your gifts, all of your work, all of your labor, all of your relationships, and to be joined to the kingdom mission of Jesus as he renews all things. So yeah, it's hard. Jesus asks for everything. Yeah, it's demanding. He asks for the totality of your life. But I promise you, there is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more meaningful. There is nothing more powerful than to take up this invitation to be with Jesus. You know, these men, there was something about Jesus that led them to just give it up. There was something about Jesus that was so glorious and so beautiful that they knew that it was worth it. And so how much more do we know, more than they know, that not only was Jesus this king, but he was one who gave his life, that he was not just a king who was demanding everything, but he was the king who would ultimately give everything of his own, suffering and enduring far more than anything he would ever ask of us. That's the king. He's a safe king, a good king, a king who invites us to follow him and give everything because he has already given everything to us. Let me close with a quote from our friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, the disciple simply burns his boats and goes ahead. The old life is left behind and completely surrendered. The disciple is dragged out of his relative security into a life of absolute insecurity, but that is, in truth, into the absolute security and safety of the fellowship of Jesus. There's no greater safety, no greater purpose, no greater security, no greater meaning, than to be in the fellowship of following Jesus. And that's the invitation to you. Come, follow me. Let's pray. This is a hard call, Jesus. It's a hard call that demands all. And... Maybe some of us are afraid. Maybe some of us don't trust you. Maybe some of us thinks this sounds too extreme or whatever. And yet, this is a beautiful call because you're inviting us to be a part of the meaning of life, which is to love God and love neighbor, to not be bound up to our own selfish ambitions and longings, but to be who you truly made us to be, people in relationship with you, with others, called to be a part of your great mission in the world. Give us faith to step across the threshold, to step out of our boats, to step out of our places of security, and to give up all that we might follow you, the only place of safety, the only place of life. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.